Welcome to the Aeronauts Podcast, dear listeners. The podcast where we go nuts about aviation. The talk show that covers one topic in depth each episode. My name is Kat, and together with me, Boss and Vincent, are going to discuss about how airplane work, part two. So before we begin, Boss and Vincent, tell the listeners what has your week been like. Alright! Okay, buenos tardes and good evening to the listeners. Hi, uh, my name is Ross and yeah, uh, it's been a crazy week. Uh, my work schedule is sort of, have uh, sort of got back to its, not as active as how it was, but I have been busy. So I've been exhausted lately, yes. Uh, other than that, uh, work home, work home, sleep. Yeah, that, that that's about it. Oh, you have, you have started flying? Yeah, uh, I've started moving much more frequent compared to once a week flights to now actually doing uh, three times a week kind of flight kind of thing. Uh. So it's improving. However, it's just, uh, I would say as a, it's a two-sector flight where you just go and come back. A shuttle flight, in other words. Okay. Right. So uh, how about you, Kiat? How's your week? My week has been good. Yeah. Um, this uh, busy with uh, like a lot of projects lately. Like mm-hmm. project projects are piling up. If you ah. can't finish one, then you have to uh, bring it forward to the next week, and then you have to continue doing it until it's finished. So it's it's a never-ending cycle. Once you finish a sprint, another sprint comes up. So it's like a marathon of sprint. That's I honestly... how I'm gonna put it. I hope you uh, catch up soon because it, you know these things tend to snowball sometimes. So yeah, yeah, I've been through it in, before in my corporate life before I came into flying. So yeah, I know how a pain in the butt it could be. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Anyways, what uh, about you, Vincent? Yeah, how 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 have you been? Not as active as boss. You know, the boss is earning a lot of money now. I okay. am not earning a lot. I'm still having pay cuts. FYI. Okay, biggest. I see. I see treats, man. Yeah. Yeah. Drinks on huh. you, boss. Drinks steak on you. Yeah. Steak dinner and wine is on you. Uh, a kitchen bar would work. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Yeah, as for me, uh, I'm I'm still maintaining the one 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 month one flight, I guess. Although although currently we have the travel bubble in Langkawi. Open now. Mm. On a lighter note, you're going more golfing than uh than actually I don't golf, so yeah, you're on on a lighter note. You're actually going go more golfing, so it's a good thing. And I believe you met Aldrich there. So how is he? Mm, I'll tell you again next week because I'm gonna meet him in uh, two days time again. Ah, ah, all right, all right. So just tell uh send us our regards. Yeah. Uh, send him our regards and just tell that. Uh, we might be looking forward for listening for him for our maybe the future of uh, Top Gun Two. He might oh. be coming in as a guest. Oh, I thought you you miss him a lot. I wanted to tell him that only for the Top Gun episode, which I'm still curious how is. Well, I'll just leave the uh, I just leave the listeners to judge. So yes. <laughs> All, right. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yes. All right. Okay, dear listeners, in the last episode, we went through the first part of how airplanes work. So we will be continuing from the last episode, from the last topic, and we'll be moving to several subtopics 
as compared to what we have talked about in the last episode. In the last episode, we talked about the flight principles, the basics of flight. We talked a bit about Bernoulli's and Sir Isaac Newton's law, laws of motion. Uh, we talked a bit about how airplanes steer and how, we, how do we start an airplane. We went on flight height, the, what's the optimal height that a flight fly. And we went through a bit about on pressurized cabin and how fast a, can a plane fly. So in today's episode, we will be uh, going through some of the subtopics. So uh, here we go. So just a follow-up question here uh, from last week's episode. We mentioned that aeroplane aerodynamics and how air flows plays an important role in supporting steer, su supporting steering and lifting a plane. What happens to a plane if the aerodynamics are uneven or distorted? Airflow suddenly, suddenly becomes imbalanced, one-sided. What impact will it have on an airplane? Have you ever had that moment before while flying? Mm, who would you like to direct that question to? Um, anyone, anyone. Okay, um, as per your question, what happens to an airplane if the aerodynamics is uneven or distorted? Um, airflow suddenly becomes imbalanced, one-sided, what happens? Right, uh, we have been trained. Uh, I'll just tell about the ones that we have trained and then probably we'll go to the ones that uh, highly unlikely to happen but can happen situations, mm -hmm. right? Okay, uh, we were trained in such a way. Uh, I don't know whether you uh, you realize or not. In our previous episode, we have spoken about flaps. Do you, ah, do you recall yes. that particular episode? Yes. Right. How, so, how a bird's flap its wings in order to get its lift. But uh, in aeroplanes, uh, like fast aeroplanes for that matter, uh, we actually have flaps to gather more lift in our aircraft. You see, That's, that is why we can fly, fly slow. In uh, fly slow and lands uh, much more softly, you know, in that sense, right? Mm. So, uh, like, we are also trained in such a way that let's say if one side of the flap is not deployed and one flap is actually deployed, so we call it asymmetric flap deployment, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, asymmetric it means that they are not uh, coming down together. One side is up, one side is down. Right. So, uh, how this how this question comes into picture is creates an imbalance in the wing so if at all one side of the flaps is down and one fly one side of the flaps is like not uh, extended what will happen is the flaps on one wing that is down will be creating more lift so it will it will roll the aircraft towards the weaker side of the air of the aeroplane do you do you get what i'm trying to say if you cut the wing into a horizontal plane, right? It has a leading edge where the air first hits the wing, and there's mm -hmm. a trailing edge where the air flow meets together at the end. So, mm. you understand the concept for now? Yeah. Right. So, now when the air is separated, the top part of the air actually has to go faster to meet the to keep up with the same uh, with, with the air molecules in the bottom wing so the mm -hmm. bottom one will be slower the one on the top because of the curvature right yeah. so that creates pressure now when we increase the flaps when we increase the flaps 
the distance on top of the wing to reach to the tra- uh, from the leading edge to the trailing edge is much more longer, which creates more suction in the wing. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got that concept? Yeah. Okay, now picture this. One side of the wing, the flaps is extended and one side is not extended. The pressure on the wings that has flaps will have more suction and the one that doesn't has not uh, deployed the wing will be lesser so the suction is lesser you get the concept now mm, okay. what happens is the wing that has higher suction power will have more lift which tends to move the aircraft on the example if it's uh, if the flaps is deployed on the right uh, on the left hand side of the wing then the left wing will be having a bigger suction compared to the right wing, the right wing will become less. So it will turn the aircraft. It will roll the aircraft. Okay. Mm. Now, so that is why uh, asymmetric flaps, it's kind of difficult for us to actually handle when we are coming in for landing or what, because we will have to be fighting with the extra additional suction or extra additional lift that is happening on the left, uh, left wing, for example. Now, Similarly, if let's say one side of the wing breaks and the other one is still full. Yeah, that's okay? what I'm curious to know. Uh, when that happens, it is the same concept. Well, because one side of the wing lift has become, uh, the, the suction over the wing has become lesser. So the lift is lesser on one side. Mm. So assuming the, right, uh, the left-hand side of the wing is broken in half for that matter, the right-hand side of the aircraft will have more lift. So the aircraft will try to turn the aircraft or roll the aircraft towards the left. So this is where, uh, yeah, I mean, this is theoretically speaking. Like, I haven't gone into details of hydraulics and the aircraft cannot control. And then next thing you know, it's actually, you know, not a favorable position. Like, but this is just what happens. Like, we have a sudden imbalance of pressure, which will tend to create the aircraft to turn the aircraft to its uh, weaker side, weaker lift side. So mm. do, you get, do you get the, uh, get the concept? So is it is it like flying? Um, is it like walking, uh, like a single-legged man? Yes. If when you fly an uneven wing, I uh, wouldn't say single-legged man. Uh, legged man. I would say uh, an injured man. Uh, let's say it's an no. injured man with a maybe. Let's say you have a twisted ankle. So like okay. a cripple. You can yeah, say that, like that, or the better term that I would actually think of is actually. Uh, one side of your leg, your bone leg is shorter than the other. You know? Yeah, okay. So, uh, I hope that explains uh, what you're trying to ask. If anything happens, such things happens, we normally have a, a quick reference handbook. We have a checklist to refer to in case yeah. of emergencies like that. But so, all in all, you're still in safe hands. And oh. we are trained to handle such situations. So, rest assured, you're okay. safe. Do you guys have time to go through the manual while this is happening? Normally, our uh, our thumb rule is uh, aviate, navigate, and communicate. So the first thing is control the aircraft, and then we should know where we are actually going, and then we talk to the radio. So we will have time. So the first, normally things like this is more like a memo item where if something happens, straight away control the aircraft, make it straight and level in order the aircraft uh, to go to the proper direction. Mm. And then we actually do this. Uh, like I said, we we do we we do uh, every six months uh, training for emergencies like this. 
Mm. And it's done in the sim, not on the real flight. Yeah, you do not want to have have that happening in real life. Even in the sim, is actually I wouldn't say okay, not to scare dear listeners. It's just that it is um. How do I put it this way in a very nice way? Uh, um, <laughs> it is. It gives you an adrenaline bump at the same time. You are. It, it's a surreal moment. So I think you know what I'm trying to say, lah. You know it. So let's move on. Um, right. Let's talk about a bit about the navigation tools. How do you know which direction to fly manually? Because when you look out of the cockpit window, straight ahead, all you see are blue skies and clouds. Just like cars having roads to guide them. How do you know which direction to fly? I wouldn't imagine us building signboards hanging mid-air in the skies for you guys. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. But actually, if you look out the window, there are signboards in the sky. Look carefully. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. I, only, I, I, I can only see it from the side of an airplane, not in front of an airplane. <laughs> uh, I am actually speechless with this statement. So, okay, I know you're creating a joke. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe Vincent would like to take this? Yeah, if you're saying that we how we fly manually with the blue skies and all that there's two things one is we call it the visual flight rules and the instrument flight rules mm-hmm. so if you're saying how we fly manually visually we normally a- apply this so-called visual flight rule or we call it vfr we actually don't fly above ten thousand feet mm-hmm. yep. so that we can maintain a, a ground reference like yet you said that you know you have signboards and all that so basically it's the same but what what is different in flying is that we use based on the map and also landmarks, and then we, we fly based on that manually, if you're talking about visual flight groups. So let's say landmarks, will I, will I get the Great Wall of China as one of your landmarks? Yes. If or you're flying, probably if you're flying around 10,000 feet and below and in the China region, then yes. Or maybe the Eiffel Tower in Paris? If you're flying low and in France, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. so that's LFR. What's no, the other one? Uh, that is VFR. Visual... VFR. VFR, okay. Yeah, visual flight rules. What's and the other one? Then? The other one is IFR, which is instrument flight, flight rules. It's extended from 10,000 to all the way, you know. I wouldn't say space, but yeah, something about... It can go as high as it can, uh, as long as the aircraft is capable of getting uh, radio frequencies from ground. Okay, IFR is something like this. It's more like a virtual highway in the air. You can't see it, but it exists. I might sound much more detailed and technical, so please, if you don't understand, feel free to ask what are they. So, a few years back, because aircrafts were not very tech-savvy, in other words, they are ridiculously conventional. So, flying actually initially started with they see the ground and then they fly and then, you know, they use visual points. So if, let's say, I want to go from example, um, from 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 uh, New York to maybe uh, New Jersey for that matter. So, you know, Manhattan Island is one of it. You know, the, the, uh, the Statue, of Liberty. Statue of Liberty is going to be a waypoint. And then next thing I know, I end up in Newark, right? Mm. So now after that, they wanted to actually cross the sea, so they decided to actually create radio fixes. They create 
this thing called uh, NDBs, uh, non-directional beacons. So they emit the frequency. So we will actually have to fly to that particular, uh, uh, yeah, that particular radio point, and then we proceed to the next one. So that became like a radio point, and people started flying higher, and they can fly into weather. So if there is full of clouds below you, you can still fly on upon those points, right? So uh, over time, they realized that these NDBs, they are very sensitive towards lightning. So whenever the, when you're flying and there's lightning, the arrow tends to go towards the lightning and not towards the radio. So it's distorted because of that. So that is why then they created a new thing called uh, a VOR. So now, I'm sure you're wondering what is a VOR, right? Hmm. It's called Omnidirectional Radio Range. It's much more stable, so uh, it can go up to, I mean, it can really go ranges up to about 150 miles-ish from, from, from the point. So I can get the direction, and it's very stable even in any weather conditions. What happened next is, after the introduction of GPS, they have satellites, they have this, they had that. They created a thing called uh, phantom waypoints. So... There will be like a, a point on on a GPS coordinated uh, point on the Earth where the aircraft will fly over it. That's how we actually fly. And each destination that we want to go to, there's a, sp- a particular highway in, in in layman terms, it's called a highway that we actually fly. So it's not really a highway; it's more like an airways. That's why we call it actually airways, right? Because uh, we certain airways. They avoid dangerous uh, uh, training areas. Like sometimes there are some places where they do uh, rocket uh, launches. Some places where they will the army will be practicing uh, cat and dog chase. You know they'll be shooting. So they do not want civilian aircraft to fly over them or through them. You see. So yeah, we actually have airways. Cat, you're you there? Are you lost? I think you lost. I'm taking down notes. Oh, it's so I, interesting. I, I panicked really. I thought you got lost. <laughs> yeah, you thought I fell asleep there. Don't, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I thought you were lost in the sense that you didn't understand what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you went, you went a bit on the GPS and then the yeah. phantom waypoints. Yes. So how airwaves direct uh, mm. the airplanes to their designated spot? Is that yeah. that's the gist of it? That's, that's what I got. There are certain waypoints that we have to change frequencies. Uh, not not radio frequencies for the for another destination. It's to change frequencies between, like, uh, Lumpo control to Singapore control, or to uh, you know uh, Kinabalu control. So we'll be talking to different different countries, different different people, and mm. you know they control that particular airways. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, easier easier way of of putting it is like let's say you're driving a car and then. Now you're from this state, you're traveling to the other state. So basically, yes. you're crossing over to another guy's state. So you basically need a permission to go into that guy's state by contacting him beforehand. I saying, hey, I'm coming in, you know? Yeah. So if you're curious why your flight ticket is expensive, you're actually not paying for only for the fuel and the service. You're actually paying to these people for the radios. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's move on to our next uh, subtopic. High efficient particulate air, HEPA for short. Okay, recently one notable airline announced last week that they have received full marks in an independent review 
of their COVID-19 health and safety measures. For having excelled in all seven safety criteria from airline ratings. How does it work and what is its function? Is it customized and added due to COVID or it already exists in, and is used in all flights? Most, but not all commercial aircraft is equipped with this HEPA system. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, ATR, there's no such thing called HEPA. <laughs> Yeah. That right? In fact, most of actually most of the, the the bigger aircraft they normally have these filters installed. Yeah, only a very long big, time ago. The, yeah, the big ones. Actually, this one this HEPA thing was around even before SARS actually. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so what is this function? How um, how how would how would we get not get COVID from this? Right, right. Um, just to answer your question, right? Yeah, from what I understand, how how it works is that half of Half of the fresh air comes from the outside. The other half is recycled through the so-called HEPA filters, mm. which HEPA, HEPA filters, normally you can find it in normal air filters in your home or also they are used in operating theaters in the hospitals. Mm. So when the air enters a cabin from the, the inlets and then after that, the air actually flows downwards towards the floor level outlets. So in there, there's actually a filter a system where you, call it, where you call it a HEPA, right? This is just a brief explanation because I'm, I'm not I'm not an engineer, so I'm not I'm not very sure about how how the whole circulation Concept works. works. Right. Uh... Yeah. But but what I can tell you is that the cabin air in the aircraft actually changes every three minutes while the aircraft is cruising. So in oh. a way is that the chances of getting COVID nineteen while cruising it's it's very slim. Unless you touch to... each other or sneeze in each other's faces. Yeah, and, and also compared to when the, the aircraft is on ground. Okay, yep. okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. Right. So in every three minutes we'll get an uh we'll get fresh air. It's a combination of both right? half of filter air and half of fresh air. Mm, okay. This is again back to uh hygiene like, where people sneeze and right. the air particles go to the next person kind of thing. Like, so so at the end of the day, it's so also very important. Uh, while you're in the aircraft, just just wear a mask. Yeah. Try not to kiss anyone. We will not talk about uh, the high mile club, so <laughs> that one is for another day, nah. But like, yeah, as like one Vincent said, uh, the air is refreshed every three minutes because the air that is being brought into the aircraft is coming through the engines actually. So, you know, it filters the toxic gases and, you know, the, the, the chemicals and everything. And then it's being compressed and creates cold air to come inside the aircraft. And it'll be uh, released via an outlet valve in the aircraft every three minutes to ensure that, you know, the pressure is maintained and, you know, the air stays fresh. So, yeah, that's how it works. Dear listeners, HEPA, again, stands for High Efficiency Particulate Air. Let's move on. Okay, um, Boss and Vincent, sometimes I notice that there is smoke coming out of an airplane wings and it will leave a track behind them. What is it? Should I be concerned about this? Yes, you should. No, just kidding. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's, called con, it's called contrails. Like, ah, right? okay. So some call it the wake, uh, jet wakes, or some, the proper term is contrails. So it's actually the same reason that, you know, when you're in a very cold weather, a place where it's winter and while you're talking your breath when you talk you can notice that you know you 
he comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that, that yeah. smoky thing out of your out of mouth. So basically it's the same reason. Mm. So so actually the, the reason it happens is during flight when the when the airplane engine because the airplane engines are hot, so they produce hot and humid air, mm. right? In in the engine. So as the engine burns a combination of fuel and air, it creates hot and humid air as a byproduct. Mm. So at the end of the after that, it will actually expel out of the engine, right? Yeah. This is where the hot and humid air from the engine mixed with the outside air of the airplane. Because mm. when you're at 40, 30 to 40,000 feet, the air air above this is definitely very cold, right? So mm. that's how you can eventually creates the appearance of the so-called white smoke. Ah, okay. Interesting. Okay, now so-called smoke on the wings. They are not really smoke. They're more con- they're more like condensed air. So when we are taking off, uh, if you remember, I mentioned earlier about suction over the air. Uh, I mean over the wing. Yes. So normally when suction happens, the air tends to be colder, and when the air tends to be colder, the the molecules become much more closer. The air. Oxygen, I mean, the hydrogen molecules come a little bit closer. So that is how it's creating, you know, the as we are lifting off, that's the time we see a lot of condensation. It's not smoke. Smoke, for us, normally when we say smoke, it's sort of like a hazard. Either there's, if there's smoke, there's always fire somewhere. So it's not really a good thing to have smoke coming up from your wings when you're taking off, right? So, yeah, it's actually condensed. Mm. Okay, okay. Okay, let's move on. Every aircraft, commercial aircraft, has a waste management system. How does an airplane manage its waste? Does it dump it out mid-air? Uh, okay, I have to correct you that a little bit. Not every aircraft has a waste management. It doesn't have a toilet on board. Uh, I'll be frank. It doesn't have a toilet on board. Other than, other than private jets, lah, other than private jets, uh, any aircrafts lesser than maybe... 30, 30, there is no toilet. If I'm, To my knowledge, I could be wrong. But private jets, they do have them, right? And it's an environmental hazard even since last time. So we do not actually throw uh, waste coming out of the air other than the water that we wash our hands from. But I think if, you, if I'm not mistaken, there is actually a case. It happened a long, long time ago. Something happened, you know. If you, if you search it up and fun fact a one tank can cost about 20,000 US dollars you mean for, wait, you mean you can sell account? that you can sell that tank the content inside the tank for 20,000 no what oh. I mean is in case if the tank spoils then it costs the company about 20,000 US dollars to actually fix it hey the black gold is actually one of the uh, most uh, sought after sought after priced thing you know <laughs> so so are you keeping harvesting them harvesting yours boss no why would i want to harvest my, <laughs> so, my, my, my deposits no so in the future we will be able to see the potential of a biomass run airplane i would say that it's currently on trial run in current ground usage not for air yet. All right, let's move to the next subtopic, time zones. This might be a silly question, but my thinking was the following. There has, been, there has to be a definition of time in an airplane for the logging of data and so on. 
But what definition would that be, assuming a flight goes across time zones? Would it be the local time at the airport of departure or at that of arrival? Or probably uh, you guys use GMT. How do you monitor time during flight? Initially, we were using uh, local mean time. But because it created a confusion and when the Gulf War was going on, it actually caused... Uh, Delays. Caused, uh, no, it caused a crash in the Gulf War. So that is why they migrated to GMT to centralize everybody in order to avoid any uh, miscommunication in that sense. Since the British sort of discovered meridians... Initially, they came up with GMT, uh, Greenwich Medium, uh, Median Time. It's Greenwich. Oh, sorry, Greenwich. Sorry, my apologies. Greenwich, uh, medi- uh, Medium, uh, I'm mean saying time. it wrongly. Mean Time, yes. I'm so sorry. Uh, so, the uh, Greenwich is on one meridian and they divided it into two. 180 degrees east and 180 degrees to the west. And Greenwich is zero. So each meridian has each time zone. So they go from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and all the way to, well, like uh, places in uh, Malaysia is actually plus 8. Because it's cool, yeah. So because the sun rises earlier compared to Greenwich, so that is why they plus. And uh, like, for example... San Francisco, uh, towards the West Coast, uh, it's GMT minus 7. And even in Malaysia, whenever we depart, we always follow UTC times. So GMT is an old name, and UTC is a new one. It's Universal Coordinated Time. Yes, sir, universe, universal Time coordination, uh, coordination. GMT or UTC does not factor in uh, daylight savings at all. However, for departures and landing, for passengers' information, we will go according to local time. We will never tell them that we are departing at, for example, to from from Malaysia, going to to say uh, New York. We will not tell them. Oh, um, we will be departing at UTC zero 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 zero. Malaysian time. So passengers will be wondering what do you mean? We are departing at midnight in Malaysia and local time. So to avoid confusion amongst uh, locals, we use local mean time. Only aircrew will speak with, you know, UTC. Mm. Coming back to your question, like what time do you use while flying? We use UTC. UTC. So can you give our listeners an example? Um, okay, so 8 o'clock morning malaysian time is uh zero 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 utc or midnight in other words so example if i'm departing uh kuala lumpur at uh, utc uh, midnight which is zero 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 and i arrive say in penang one hour later so my arrival time in utc will be zero one zero zero however i will be telling my passengers we will be arriving at 9 o'clock in the morning. Let's say I am going to, Med- to, to Medan for that matter. So Medan is one hour behind Malaysia, right? So I depart 
Kuala Lumpur at say 0100 UTC, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. But I arrive at Medan at 0200, which is supposed to be 10 o'clock uh, Malaysian time. However, since Indonesia is behind by one hour, we will be arriving at Medan at uh, 900, 9 o'clock local time. So our departure time from Malaysia is 9 o'clock. Our arrival time into Medan is also 9 o'clock. However, okay. UTC is different. Let's say you're a pilot, right? Okay, so when you're flying midway, then you look at your watch. Uh, no, then you suddenly realize you want to know what time is it. So is do you use the time at the location at where you are at based on the GMT? Or would you still based on the departure time? where you left off or you will go based on the arrival time where you will be arriving so you plus and minus from there for our dear muslim listeners we uh, they will actually want to know what time is sunset for yeah yeah that's that's call, that's right? one of the purpose yeah uh, that one we will actually look at a local time actual let's say we are flying over like, example since we are going from uh, malaysia to or Singapore to London. So let's say we are, if you're flying over um, uh, Saudi, uh, I wouldn't say Saudi Arabia, we'll be flying over maybe Iran or maybe Turkey, then we will look, uh, we will we will refer to the local time over the particular spot. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and you as a pilot, what what time would you, would you say it is for your uh, dream mid flight? What time do you use? Uh, we... It depends. For our own personal use, uh, we will use uh, local mean time. Even for explaining passengers, so we will still use local mean time. However, uh, for our documentation purposes, as well as if at all, like like I mentioned earlier, if, uh, if passengers want to do prayers, uh, they want to know where's the direction to Mecca and all these things, so then yes, uh, we will actually give the actual local time that we're flying above. Especially if they want to break fast, rather, yeah, we will actually check. Personally, I would say, if I was flying, I was the one flying across wherever, I normally use the local mean time back at home. So mm. that I know, you know, roughly what time is it back at home. But if I were to report it to passengers, then I will report it at the current position's local mean time. Mm. And upon arrival, we will also use the arrival's local mean time. So, so just hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to another subtopic. Color of airplane. As everyone knows, every airline has its own distinctive uh, branding. Let's say the notable ones in Malaysia. Example, AirAsia is red. Malaysian Airlines is blue and red. Malindo is purple and many more. All comprising colors, graphic and typography identifiers. But underneath it all, Nearly all passengers' aircraft sport white paint. It's perhaps something that most travelers, even frequent flyers, have wondered about but never bothered to ask. Why are airplanes usually painted white? Uh, there are a couple of reasons. One, white reflects sunlight. Let's say you paint a passenger plane with black color, right? So basically, black, as you know, it absorbs sunlight, mm, it absorbs yeah. heat. Basically, you bring more heat to the airplane. And, and also, the plane will, will be exposed to potential damage from the solar radiation. Mm. So basically, they paint it white is to minimize both the heating and the potential damage 
from the solar radiation. Mm. And and because the aircraft is not always parked under a shade when it's when when it arrives at the airport, mm. right? Yeah. So so that is also another factor that plays into why the aircraft are all painted white. So and another reason the, the airplanes are painted white is also to reduce bird strikes. Do you know what the bird strike is? Mm, yeah. No, but it involves a bird, is it? Yeah, so in short, actually a bird bird strike is, is where the bird collides with an airplane when ah, the airplane is going okay. to be uh, taking off or like sometimes when it lands. Most of the time it happens during landing. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yesterday so, so, I, I landed with one aircraft and I, as I was landing, I did a sacrificial land. So so basically, if it's painted white, it's also to reduce the number of bird strikes. And because bird strikes can, can be a threat any aircraft. So painting the flight uh, livery, the, I mean, the flight livery will prevent the birds from flying close to an airplane, is it? Subjective uh, topic, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, bird strikes, I think, is a topic by itself. Uh, Another thing is painted white. It's also it helps engineers to detect damage. Yeah, that's the main main one, yeah. la. Mm. So so if there's like you know damage or dents, then you can basically with white in color, you can actually see see the cracks or dents on the aircraft. And okay. it's to remind the engineers uh, to actually wash the aircraft because if there's a lot of contaminants on the aircraft, that means you create a lot of unwanted drag so it give cost for the airline you know you burn more fuel that one is one mm. the other one is uh if you recall uh, a few years back uh, 2006 uh, malaysia airlines actually painted their aircraft uh, i don't know how to pronounce this one properly just correct me if i'm wrong it's called the heli uh, helicona helicona for the blue on the triple seven and the other one is the hibiscus on the red on the 747s the more colorful the aircraft is, the more heavier. Apparently, the aircraft for the 747s, I was told of, it was heavier by additional two tons. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, so if the aircraft is heavier by two tons, that means the you burn more fuel and you burn mm. more fuel. So that is why if you notice, a lot of the airlines try not to uh, have colorful liveries. But to be honest, I prefer the old-time cheat line aircrafts. It's kind of retro and it's kind of nice. Mm. Like Singapore Airlines managed to maintain their cheat lines, but yeah, many airlines have opted for moving out of it. That's interesting. I did not know the livery, a livery plays an important role in flight. That's really interesting, especially the safety side of it where we are being protected by solar radiation. Yeah. That's, I think, is a very important uh, function of a livery. All right, dear listeners, we have come to an end of our part two episode of How Airplane Works. In today's episode, we went a bit of aerodynamic and imbalance in an airplane would affect flight. Uh, moving on, uh, we went a bit about uh, our navigation tools where we talk a bit about VFR. How does a captain identify where and when they are at a given point in time during flight? And we also went a bit about airways, uh, how, how captain use uh, airways for direction yeah, in terms of flying direction in the middle of the sky. Uh, we also went a bit about HEPA, how 
how um, this air filtration will actually assist in uh, COVID-19 health and safety measures through its air filtration and whether is it important for uh, all flight to have it. We also went a bit about smoke on wings. Sometimes uh, we will see like smoke coming out of an airplane wings. This is due to condensation of air while flying. We also went through time zones. So we talk about GMT, UTC, you name it. Short examples and uh, simple examples of how they use it fly through different time zones and uh, recording their time uh, using uh, which time while on flight. And lastly, we went through a bit about color of airplanes. Sometimes you get to see different airplanes have different liveries throughout their throughout the, uh, the body of the aircraft so um, how does it function and whether does it play a role in an airplane's flight or another case protection of humans during flight um, very high up in the sky so it has been a very interesting episode uh, many different interesting subtopics that we went in went in in this episode we hope to see you uh in our next episode where we will be talking about a bit about the current affairs of what is going on in the uh in the aviation industry please remember to like and follow us on facebook and instagram at aeronauts which is alias aer0 N-U-T-S, I repeat, Elias, A-E-R-0, N-U-T-S. We would love you to share your views or provide us with any interesting question you would like us to talk about in one of our episodes. Once again, together with me, Boss and Vincent, we wish you a pleasant flight. In other words, hold my hand.